So Brittany, um, I know you were talking about positioning and how like it can be a big blind spot for business owners and especially property managers. And so as some kind of test, can you tell me like what is the most common um, answer you hear when you ask this question to a property management company owner? Ready? I'm ready. Ready? Okay. I'm scared. So, <laughs> okay. So what makes you different from your competition? I am an investor myself. Yeah, that's a good one. Another one that I um, that I often hear is um, we care for your property like our own. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those two go go hand in hand. Which which to say that that is great. That's that's important information to have, mm-hmm. and that does make property owners feel better. Um, but yeah, we we care for our property like it's our own, um, or trust us because we also own investment property which like I said, that's good information, but the majority of people we work with do that and try to use that as a competitive, a competitive advantage instead of like a value prop. Maybe I don't know if you agree, but like, I think maybe that is kind of like a selling point, but maybe not your competitive advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I think like it is important to, um, communicate that, especially if you do treat, the property is like your own and you do embody that. But I think the the key here is like what uh, most property managers may think is the differentiator is actually not as unique as they think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a blind spot because um, when we're talking about things that differentiate you, you want it to stick out from the crowd. Mm-hmm. And if everyone else is saying that, then it just doesn't... It, it just doesn't separate you. Like you're all just the same. Right. Right. So yeah, it goes. So it's like, if you're, if you're um, trying to differentiate yourself, if we're talking about like positioning your company to look better than the rest, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do more or charge less, or it, it doesn't always have to be that thing. It's like, what does it feel like? to work with you? What do you want your owners to feel like? And then look at your competition and see, are they kind of saying the same thing? Are they doing something different? Yeah. Another one is peace of mind, right? Like we give you Mm -hmm. peace of mind. It's like, yes, that's very important in property management. Um, However, if everyone else is saying that, then you need to add more to that, right? So it's almost like it's table stakes now to say, mm-hmm. like, we give you peace of mind. We treat your property like our own. Um, if It's everyone, become the standard. It's become the standard. An example that comes to mind is, you know, buying used cars. So it's not everyone's favorite thing to do because, you know, as soon as you walk into the lot, there's going to be a salesman who's going to be a bit too aggressive with you. They're going to try to keep up, you there for 12 hours. For 12 hours. They're going to try to upsell you. Yeah. Um, and so it's not really the best experience. Um, and you know, if you think, Hey, I am a used car business and maybe I can offer a zero APR for a used car. Um, you know, if they were on a payment plan, for example, or maybe I can offer this like little coupon. Um, but if everyone else in your area is offering a similar coupon, it doesn't really set you apart. Like, does it like if you're, um, 
if you're thinking like, oh, if I offer like a payment plan with, you know, zero APR, I should expect double the sales. Like, you know, that in itself may not help, especially if a consumer can get that elsewhere. But things like um, that may not even be monetary that um, kind of tie into um the the pain points of buying a used car like if you are able to address that like then maybe you can differentiate yourself for example mm-hmm. um i think there's this company called carmax where they're not saying like hey get the best rates from us they're even going beyond that they're like hey you need a used car we know that the process isn't the best um we get it you know what do everything online find a car you love online. You can even do curbside pickup. Like you don't even have to deal with a salesman because we know you don't like that. Um, and so that kind of like makes me perk up and I'm like, I have, ne- I have never heard that from another used, uh, used car sales um, area before or a used car company. Um, and so like, I think little things like that do make a big difference. Um, so for property management, right? Like um, thinking out of the box of, what you can offer um, that really sticks out in your market is key, right? Because I think the the blind spot is, oh, I'll just come up with something that sounds um, valuable and then put it out there and it'll work. But yeah. I think there's there has to be a lot more work um, in observing your competition um, and getting to know kind of like who your ideal client is to then create something that's valuable to them that's also not um not kind of like table stakes in your market yeah well but it's tough too because I feel like at this point everybody it almost seems like everything is becoming table stakes that how do you find that like you can't just make some like make up a new thing every day right so it it takes a lot more thinking and and brainstorming right because it's like you know that in the time of guarantees where mm-hmm. so many property managers are like oh this is my competitive advantage now I'm offering these guarantees I'm able to offer these guarantees and that sets me apart I mean we just did a podcast on that um and those are working well for some people if they're leveraging the right way but as people kind of like hop on the bandwagon mm-hmm. Is that going to be enough? Like you're constantly having to reinvent the wheel, but at what point, at what point do you just like run out of things to make yourself different? I think that's an interesting point because um, whenever you're marketing a business, it's very tempting to go for the shiny thing. Like, oh, everyone's offering guarantees. I should be offering guarantees. Um, when I was doing some research for our guarantees podcast, um, I did read some, um, some white papers around like guarantees in various industries. Right. And, um, that they were kind of touching on the fact that like in certain industries, guarantees have become table stakes that like, it doesn't really make like the as seen on TV. Yeah. Like, like. Um, if you don't have guarantees and you look worse than your competition, so you kind of have to have guarantees. Um, right. But then in industries where um, no one else or not a lot of competitors, not a lot of companies are offering guarantees and you, you can 
um, use that to kind of boost your visibility. Um, but what's interesting in those case studies is they all mention reputation. They're saying that, um, you know, if you have poor reputation, having guarantees has a bigger effect on your business than if you had stellar reputation and then you happen to offer guarantees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if everyone else is offering guarantees and you're not, but you have stellar reputation, it doesn't really harm you as much as if you had poor reputation. So it's interesting because guarantees yeah. look like this shiny thing that, oh, I should do that. It's definitely gonna, you know, drive my business forward. But it's like, you know, it's not the only lever. I think that's the point. Um, mm-hmm. And then like, like you said, too, like looking inward. Um, so if you guarantee if, if you're just going after like the next shiny thing, that may be harmful for your business, because, you know, then you have to keep like pivoting your team. And also, like, if you guarantee something just because everyone else is guaranteeing it, um, how are you sure it's working for your business it's not mm-hmm. over extending your team it's not overly risky for your own business model right um so i feel like when you're positioning your business um yes having those like shiny things to get people looking at you is good but um a blind spot is like losing sight of like just who you are because mm-hmm. guarantees are like accessories it can accessorize your business yeah. But if like you kind of don't know who you are and you just like one day you're goth, the other day you're like, you know, you have dainty jewelry. It's kind of like hard to to get to know you if someone new comes in. Precisely. Yeah. Similar to like your business. If you keep um, just changing your offerings and they kind of have no um, kind of connection to each other or they're not tied by something that's core um, core values yeah like a core value then it just sounds like a gimmick right why are we here why are we doing this Mm -hmm. so I think what's our intent yeah what's our intent I think that too yeah I think um in terms of positioning your business um the 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 key questions would be like what do we already have who who are we right um what do we have to offer is this who we want to be? If you're if you're positioning your business as this gimmicky type thing where um oh we we just have like a, a promo every month, right? Um and that's what defines you. Um I feel like that's going to hurt your brand more than actually figuring out what makes your company tick. Mm-hmm. Um and also, I, I just thought of something, Pos- positioning your company well also influences the type of the types of people that are attracted to your company, right? So mm-hmm. um, if, for example, you're, you're positioning your company as a boutique company, you know, you, or that you manage like luxury estates, like the types of clientele that will come inquiring would be quite different from a company that positions themselves as like, Hey, we're, um, we're all about like helping communities. So we, um, we welcome affordable housing, you know, section eight, 10 and stuff like that. And every business is different, but being clear on, on like what your strengths are and, um, like what your bread and butter is, I think is critical. 
Um, and tying that, right, tying that into how your message is put out there is important. Yeah. Yeah, I think you said it really well. And I, I mean, that's kind of the, the takeaway for this, right? So to get over this blind spot on, you know, positioning, positioning. branding, messaging, figure out who you are, um, figure out what's important to your perfect client um, and, and how you can kind of deliver on that promise and, and advertise it. And I think the last thing I would say is like, um, this is hard. You don't have mm-hmm. to do it yourself. Maria, <laughs> Marie, you and I have been doing this for a long time and we always go to each other for help on these things because it's mm-hmm. always nice. And we do, this is what, this is what we do for work. We are marketers. Mm-hmm. We're a marketing company, but people perceive things differently and, and different. Um, there's always a, there's always going to be a better way to say it. Uh-huh. Um, but if you collaborate with, with your team or maybe hire an expert, it can make things a lot, a lot easier on you as long as you're willing to do the work to get to, you know, that place you want to be. The Property Management Show is brought to you by PM Grow Summit 2022. Listen, to say this past year has been rough would be a vast understatement. So treat yourself to a few days of innovation, inspiration, and relaxation at PM Grow Summit 2022. This year's conference takes place in person from February 28th through March 2nd in sunny San Diego, California. Spend your days getting inspired by top-notch speakers and your evenings sinking your toes into the sand. But don't wait. Early bird tickets are running out. Get yours at pmgrowsummit.com. That's pmgrowsummit.com. PM Grow Summit, where the industry moves forward. The Property Management Show is also brought to you by Four and Half Marketing Agency for Property Managers. Want to get paid for referring Four and Half to a friend? Simply fill out our referral form with your friend's information and start getting paid once they sign with us. Learn more at fourandhalf.com slash referral dash program. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F dot com slash referral dash program. And now back to the show. So last conversation we had, you were talking about um, how positioning is a blind spot in property management marketing. Um, And then, you know, after that conversation, we were kind of like putting our heads together and we realized, hey, there's actually another blind spot that um, maybe we can talk about. And that's um, data, right? So I know that data is kind of like, a polarizing word. Some people love it, can't get enough of it. Um, other people don't want to be anywhere near it because they don't, you know, know how to deal with it. Um, but I feel like for a business, it's important. Um, and I think a blind spot is that um, a lot of property management, a lot of property management businesses are sitting on a wealth of data that is not too hard to understand, um, mm-hmm. but they're just not um, aware that they can utilize this data. Um, and, and one kind of low hanging fruit is like reputation, right? Like your reviews, both positive and negative and neutral, it's data, right? Like we're not data, data that you be. could actually use for positioning too. Exactly. Like data doesn't have to be like numbers and charts. 
data is yeah. any input of information. It's really. not just Google analytics, right? It's yeah, it's, it's information. Data is yeah. information. It's not just looking at spreadsheets and looking at charts and, and looking at, you know, different line graphs, whatever it's, it's looking at the information, the input you're getting, as you said, um, specifically about your business. Yeah. And so you were the one who actually brought up the idea that like, Hey, property managers are sitting, um, on this wealth of information in the form of reviews for their businesses. Um, mind just kind of like hashing that out more like how can property managers utilize, you know, reviews as a data source and like what decisions, um, can be impacted to help their business. Yeah. So I feel, I feel like there are a couple of different levels. Like one, you have to be asking for reviews or else you aren't going to have the data. I'm not suggesting you send a blast email to everybody, you know, saying, Hey, review us on Google. But the idea is, you know, maybe you use a, a reputation software where you survey, or you just send out a survey to your tenants and owners. And that gives you information. A lot of property management softwares do this automatically. I know like at Folio, after a maintenance request is closed, you, um, the tenant, the resident will receive an automatic email asking to rate the experience. And you have that data in, in the software for us for four and a half, we send out monthly review requests based on success triggers, right? If a tenant moved in, if a tenant had a closed maintenance request, um, if an owner had a tenant renew, what, whatever the circumstances, um, and you, you survey to ask about the experience. So if you're, if you have a system like that, where you're automating it or doing it manually and asking for feedback, you're going to have data there that you can, um, assess, right? So if somebody left you a one-star review or a two-star review, you can look at that feedback and say, Hmm, is this a problem with our process? And you, you want to look at it closely. You don't want to assume that it's false. Mm-hmm. I feel like you have to give the benefit into, of the doubt. Yes. Give the benefit of the doubt, do some research. And that doesn't mean being like, Hmm, Sally was the one that was assigned this and she really messed up. It's like, no, what, what went wrong? Is there a piece of our process that led to this negative, um, negative emotion that this renter or this owner had, um, And what I was going to say a second ago is you you don't have to have a system. Like if you're getting reviews online and people are going publicly to Google or Yelp or Facebook, you can just look at what you're getting organically too. That's, that's input that you're going to get no matter what. It just so happens that most of the time, if you aren't proactively asking most of the public things, unfortunately will be negative. Just that's kind of how this industry works, right? Um, Yeah. It's a thankless job. And so you can expect that um, people will, can be nasty online, especially Mm -hmm. because they're hiding behind their keyboards. Um, And I I really liked how you said that um, what you said about how you have to give the benefit of the doubt. So don't just assume Mm -hmm. that it's false. I mean, yes, we are aware that um, there are instances when tenants fabricate things or just exaggerate or nasty or are they're just nasty. nasty. Yeah. But I feel like as a business owner, um, being able to kind of stomach reading those nasty reviews, um, 
can actually like reading between the lines and reading through the emotion, like perhaps you can tease out like actual um, actionable things. Like, is there something broken with my process? Do I have a problematic vendor? Um, most of negative reviews come um, come in because of maintenance related stuff or the leasing process, like expectations weren't met and right, getting um, declined an application. Yeah. And so, um, it's, so sometimes it's process, sometimes it's perception, like maybe your process isn't broken, but, um, if you read through your reviews, everyone keeps saying that, oh, I thought this and it didn't happen, or I, was under the impression that, you know, this was included and it wasn't, then that tells you like, oh, maybe we should revisit the way we're communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, or add to it. In- or yeah. add to it. Yeah, make it well, clear. I guess you, when you revisit, you can add or enhance whatever. Yeah. And but- so I, I feel like that those are like things that can come out of analyzing the data from the reviews that you get. Yeah, and I would add, I would add one thing. It's like, Yes, if somebody, if there are multiple people with the same experience, definitely look at that. But I even encourage, like, look at the one review that was left, even if it was left by Nancy, nasty Nancy. I was like, Nancy, Nancy, even if it was left by somebody that, you know, really hits a nerve with your entire company. um, If you're not able to fix the problem with that person, you should still assess the process and revisit it as you were saying to see, hey, is there anything we can do to make this a little bit better? Because guess what? If one person leaves a negative review, that doesn't mean that's just one person that experienced that issue. There could be people that just don't feel as comfortable with confrontation that are kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it, yeah, but they I, might I just still moved have on. Yeah. I just moved on. But right. if anyone asks me, I'm telling them not to hire you. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of, um, improving your business reputation is such a low hanging fruit, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, just book some time in your calendar to just like read those reviews. We know it sucks to have to read through them, but, um, your business will be better off in the long run when you do invest the time. So moving on from this, one of the things that you mentioned was, um, owner retention, like how long and tenants too, but I feel like we can kind of tie that into what we were talking about before, because that can help with retention. Um, well, what data, what data is there on owner retention that could be better utilized? So on the topic of, um, you know, retention, like tenant retention, owner retention. This is information that you can actually get from your software for most of property management softwares. Um, and, you know, it's not uber complicated data to analyze, right? Like you just um, try to figure out how long basically each owner on average stays with you or how long on average tenants stay with you. So like obviously for tenants, tenancy the length of tenancy depends on your area right like if you're in a student town um or college town like that'll be vastly different from an area that's like the suburbs with like you know young adults young adults versus you know digital nomads who Mm -hmm. you know travel a lot versus you know um an area that like um tends to to have people who are like nesting. So they're, they tend to stay longer, stuff like that. Um, 
but kind of like understanding from the tenant standpoint, like the normal um, length of tenancy in your area for the types of homes you manage and kind of comparing that to your actual numbers um, would give you a lot of insight to like, hey, are we good on this? Or should we, you know, revisit how, mm-hmm. you know, we're communicating with tenants or, you know, can, can we do something to, to increase it? If it's is not, is there quite- a common thread? Yeah. Is there a common reason why they're, they're leaving? Like when, when someone terminates a tenancy or doesn't renew, like, do you even ask them kind of like why they're leaving or do you just go, okay, Bye. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for owners too, right? Like, yes, you're able, you you might be able to get um, the average amount of time an owner stays with you from your software. And that's important to check um, because if, if people just stay with you, if each owner just stays with you for like a year, um, that, that might um, actually be a symptom of a problem um, because um, most, most people stay, um, with a property manager, they trust like longer than that. And typically, right. Like you're more profitable, the longer an owner stays with you, cause you spend all this time and money to acquire them. And then if you only have them for a year versus two versus three years, like it's just simple math that you obviously want to keep them longer. Um, but like, yeah, like figure out like, why are they leaving? And then if you don't have that data, the, so like the qual like the quantitative data is like the number, which is how many people are leaving, how long do owners stay. Um, but then being able to go back and see why they're leaving, so that's the qualitative side, um, would also be informative when you dig in. Um, and so I feel like, yeah, so property managers are potentially sitting on this um this, this data that they should be looking at and tracking. Right. Um, and then also it'd be good to look at the trend. So if let's say five, 10 years ago, on average, an owner stays with you for four years, five years, and then you notice that, Hey, recently it's dropped to two years. Mm -hmm. Right. So like that should tell you something like, what did I change around the time that this drop happened, right? Like, is it you? Did the market change? Did did you right. have a new competitor in town that's like stealing your clients away? So these are things that um, I feel like would give a lot of property managers like peace of mind, but also a competitive advantage if they have, um, they feel the pulse of their business this way. Um, and you can do that by just checking simple pieces of data that they mm-hmm. already have. And I feel like the last piece of data that we kind of like talked about, mm-hmm. but, um, was just like lead volume, like quantity versus quality. So a lot of people, um, care about, or, pay more attention to these kind of like vanity metrics, as you called them, where how many leads am I getting? I want more leads. I want this or that, which is great. More leads most of the time is always good, but it's important to look at close rate, but not just close rate too. Right. So it's like, okay, if you're getting a bunch of leads, but you're not closing them, is it the sales process or is it the type of leads you're getting? And that's an analysis that you have to make and that can impact marketing too. But more often than not, I don't, I don't see people kind of drawing those connections and don't get me wrong. There are people that are really good about it. Um, but they're, 
there, it is a blind spot sometimes where people don't pay enough attention to the quality of leads or the quality of the sales process. They can just kind of care about that vanity metric. Yeah. Yeah. And and also you're absolutely right. Um, they, they think like, Oh, I just need more leads. Right. Um, and then just assuming that if they get more leads and they'll get more contracts, but not actually diving into the numbers. It's more of a feeling, um, which I think could be really dangerous um, because like you said, right? Like you cannot judge the quality of the lead just by like the number of leads. Mm-hmm. Like you have to actually look at where the what happens to the leads after the initial inquiry and kind of like, you know, how long it takes for them to close and are they good clients? I think that's the other thing. Um, yes. You know, like there's this focus on like, I want more leads, so I'm going to drop my price. Um, well, to- that ties back, it, it, that ties exactly back into what you were just saying about how long owners stay. Mm-hmm. So those, those kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. So I feel like, um, yeah, uh, not, kind of utilizing simple pieces of data that you already have is a blind spot um, because there's this misconception that like, oh, you know, data is too complicated. I'm not a data person, but um, data can be kind of any um, information 